What's up, everybody? Welcome into episode 143 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston from Mike'sLessons.com. My co-host, who will be joining me shortly, is Mr. Mike Dawson, managing editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. After Mike and I get all caught up, we're going to break down some really cool exercises that you guys can do with basic paradiddles. After that, we're going to be talking in-depth about the great Stuart Copeland. We'll give you our picks of the week, and eventually, we'll... Shiza! We'll get to your listener questions, and then we'll give you our picks of the week. No, that's not it either. We'll get to a bunch of your listener questions. Oh, what, what do I usually say? We'll get to a bunch of your listener questions. What's your chair? We'll get to a bunch of your listener questions, and as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. Holy sh... Mmm, my goodness. All right, so does the drum key still exist before we oh, get started? Right. <laughs> she almost got a F-bomb out of me right off the bat. <laughs> Hell yeah, it exists. That thing's on fire. The key of destiny? Are you kidding me? That's no, how we choose. That's how we choose who goes first on given exercises during camp. Is I throw the key of destiny on the ground, and whoever it points to, get up on the kit. Let's oh, go. Oh, nice. Yeah, key of <laughs> destiny is doing great. Um, and today, all the campers will be using it. Today's the last day of camp, and uh, one of the things I'm going to do today that's not really part of the normal curriculum, but this this specific group group two they just flew through the curriculum so we actually have a little bit of free time today and so what i want to do is i'm going to get my kit completely jazz tuned mm. play a song through the pa and say all right you're you're tracking that song in five minutes you have five minutes to make my drums ready for that song <laughs> nice here's a roll of gaff tape here's the key of destiny get on it and then i want them to do that we'll track and then i want them to hear like the difference between what they thought it was going to sound like and what the microphones heard it as. So, oh yeah, man, what a good lesson because it's almost never the same. No, and you almost have to get if you're going to go for that. You know, let's say I'm going to squash it like really nuke it with a compressor, and all I want is smack out of the drums. The drums themselves are going to sound horrible, but the microphone, mm. like all those mid growls that we hate as drummers, the guitars are going to eat that up. That's never going to make it onto the recording. All you're going to get is that great smack and click out of having these loose tom heads that don't sound great in the room, but once it's in the mix with Zeppelin, it's fine. Um, so That's so we'll cool. see. Yeah, it should be fun. Um, by the way, I'm not saying make your drums sound bad. It'll never make it under the recording. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying what you think, the thing that drives you the most nuts, it's going to get eaten up by guitars for the most part. Uh, so, yeah. Oh, Mike so, said just to make your drums sound bad, then you go be a session ace. <laughs> you don't need to know how to tune or anything. Just yeah, put mics on it what and I'm compression. And, yeah. Yeah, it's all good. <laughs> Mike said to nuke the drums and then we'll be fine? No. <laughs> All right, so question about the camps. How are these single-ply heads holding up? And Dude. what is the reaction to the new kit? Uh, everyone's in love with the new kit. I think uh, in this camp, we might have quite a few people going to the ANF website. They're really falling in love with the oh, steel. Really? Oh, yeah? Yeah, they're really f- yeah, yeah, I was really surprised. So when they got here, I had the brass on. Actually, when they got here, I just finished a photo shoot and video shoot with Aquarian. And since I know it's going to be for public use and for print and everything, I had my Gretsch prototype snare on, which I do love, but it's not the final product. It's not the one that I want. So I had that on the kit, I think on day one of camp, because I did the video shoot uh, right before they got here. Then on day two, I switched to probably what my favorite drum I thought was, which is the 14 by 5 raw brass ANF. Mm-hmm. So the campers played that. Then we went to Ron's titanium snare. We had that for a day. Yep. Uh, and then just out of sheer looks, I was like, you know what? I, I remember how much I loved the way that steel snare looked on my kit. I threw that on, and everyone was like, what is that? That snare is amazing. No, and we have a lot of campers that are doing uh, some recording stuff in the camp. And it was the most perfect balance of getting a great cross stick sound and a great snare sound. Now, what are uh, the hoops on it? Are they brass hoops? They're the yeah. So it's the steel drum with all brass hardware. Yeah, yeah. And, I think uh, that's a, that's a good way to upgrade any snare drum is put some brass hoops on it. 
I, I couldn't agree more, and I would have never thought that until Rami from ANF told me to do that to my yeah. steel snare. I was like, man, this thing's just not working. He's like, well, you have the brass there, right? I said, yeah. He said, swap out the hoops. Just grab the brass hoops. And instantly, the drum sounded so much warmer yep. and didn't have that steel clang to it. And it, it instantly made it great. And then when he finally made me my version of it, then it was also the brass uh, lugs as well. And so mm-hmm. everything was brass except for the shell. And it's just a really good bounce. So that was good. And then yesterday, we threw the Ludwig Black Beauty on because I wanted them to get used to that and just sit like hear the difference to me that is one of the drums that microphones adore more than the human ear because i put it on there like ah i thought it'd sound better and i was like just wait go go <laughs> it's into, just too go familiar into the- it's one of those like it's just too yeah. familiar <laughs> yeah it's like oh that sounds like when you open the dictionary and look up snare drum that's what that sounds like but i said go in there and press that space bar let me track yeah. you know four bars of groove and then you'll go oh i've heard that on all the albums ever yeah. now here's something i would be curious for you to try swap out those triple flange steel hoops with the brass hoops on the black beauty on the black beauty Ooh. because i've i did some a b comparisons with a black beauty and not a black beauty but a version of it that had brass hoops okay I'm pretty sure that i preferred the other drum to the black beauty because of the hoops really there's no reason because wow. the, the shells are not identical the black beauty is seamless and the one that i have is actually a rolled welded shell right so sure. you would think the Black Beauty would have way more tone and just have a bigger sound, but I, I think it was the hoops. I really, really yeah. do. It's, it definitely – I'm lucky enough that I still have the initial prototype that Rami made for me that's just a steel drum. Steel everything. Mm. And, I do, and they're the exact same size, so I get to A-B them. And it's like this is the exact same shell – just different hardware and they're they're not close i mean it's it's obvious it's really obvious so yeah it's a it's a big deal for sure but i'm so everything's good with the drum key that thing's intact everyone will get to use it today right. i know I it, at some point one, i'm probably gonna have to play a drum solo in the genre of your choice because what did i say until yes. august or october oh, i said august i think bro you should you should have said August twenty twenty. I love you have no idea how much I love that key. I have some of the greatest gear that's ever been made. I mean, I've got a nineteen twenties two piece brass nickel over what? A, who gives a crap shell? Man, I walk in and I'm like, where's my key? Where's the key of destiny? I love that thing. That thing's going nowhere. Yeah, I would I would probably do like what happens when something bad in a movie happens and you have to shut down the area mm. and say, all right. Let's close the door, shut down the area, search everybody. Where's my key? Put a GPS uh, so yeah, on that thing. <laughs> I know. I, I should put one of those little tiles on it. So what's new with you, bud? What is new? Well, we got our power back here. So this was a tur- – you know, East Coast got annihilated with some nasty weather. So uh, especially the Mid-Atlantic. So anyone who's in that area who's dealing with flooding, good luck. I know it's pretty pretty nasty. My hometown got really messed up. The Really? The central, the park in the center of town is completely flooded. I know a lot of people's houses are flooded. It's pretty gnarly um, and kind of underreported. I think there's just so much bad news that we don't see the fact that Hawaii is exploding and <laughs> you know, yeah. like all this crazy stuff. My goodness. So we had like it was Tuesday, Tuesday around four o'clock. It was like a hurricane blew through for like 15 minutes. It was crazy. The sky went dark. The wind was like 70 miles an hour. And it's been such a wet spring that trees just had no rooting. They just started uprooting. So my neighborhood, a giant, like 70-foot, beautiful tree just came down and just yanked all the wires down like a drunk at a party. (laughs) Ah. (laughs) Just took everything out. So I didn't have power for, you know, I just got it back last night, which was Tuesday. But the upside of that, because this has happened... You know, probably three times in the ten years I've lived in this town, is it forces me to just unplug literally, and yeah. kind of re- re- you know re regroup and kind of actually practice on the kit with no mics and no electronics and no loops and yeah. and really kind of figure out what I really should be working on and and also just having some time at night when literally it's pitch black, like just think. Just sit and just think, like, what do I want to yeah. do? What's going to happen? So some some new ideas are brewing. I'm not ready to quite announce them yet, but I did um, I did get invited to to appear in at PASIC this year. I think it's going to be I think it's going to be one of the it's going to be one of the master classes, not the the huge stage. Sure, it's going to be the small room. Um, the you know they they talked to me about it a couple months ago about. 
it's kind of turned into um, I'm I'm becoming this technology electronics and drumming dude, which is really ironic because it just started is, as me just ex- messing around in my basement. And yeah, but it's cool because I think that we've only had we've never had anybody doing it that was relatable to the average drummer because we never had anybody take that on and not go all the way with it. So it was always. Yeah. You know, in that Johnny Rab world, not that he did electronics, but I mean, um, Kira Jimbo, would be a good example. Tony Ver- yeah. Um, yeah. Who was the Veterosa? Is that who said? Yeah. The, he was like the first one I saw that was like killing it doing that stuff. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think that, uh, I think it's great, man. And I think you're also doing it in a way that is still heavily in- infused with acoustic drums like yeah 100%. if your power went out you still can play like you <laughs> yeah yeah no that's that's i think that's kind of been the angle it has been the angle that i'm taking is using electronics to help you become a better musician not to sound like a drum machine and all these different yeah, ways so for sure you know, the other thing that you know sound, maybe i mean loops especially the live looping thing has been the big thing like if you can create right. a loop on the spot means a couple things have to happen you have to have good time because you got to create a loop that's in time and You've right. got to have a good sense of form and structure to make a loop that doesn't sound like noise. I mean, it's there's so many tools that are required. The other thing that you know you probably aren't recognizing because you're a working drummer, but I think that your style also appeals to a lot of people that choose for the rest of their life to be basement drummers. Where they're like, dude, I just do this to blow off some steam. How could I make playing in my basement more fun? I've been playing yeah. my same the same albums for the last twenty years. They see you do that and they go, that looks like that dude's having a blast in his basement. And yeah. so yeah, exactly. I think that that's, also, that's what makes it so relatable. We see it on Instagram and we go like, oh my gosh, all I got to do is get that flying saucer thing and go, <laughs> and then it'll go, that's what we think from the outside looking in. Um, but it so I, I think it's it awesome. Man. And I, I think that's, you know, the clinics I've done, that's been my whole point is practice should be fun. It should be con- you know, productive and constructive and you should have goals. But you should have fun, too. So even yeah. if you're practicing something really technical, just creating a texture with some kind of a loop. For me, I'm making music. Even if I'm working on my right foot speed, I'm still making music. Right. That's the most no, important I think that's, thing. that's great. And I think if, if practice is almost always depressing for you, then you should you should choose something else. It shouldn't yeah. be like that. You that's know? like um, me practicing guitar. It's like, God, I can't do this. It's right. so depressing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Exactly. That's uh that's me every morning at five thirty right now. Today was uh, nose to wall handstand push ups and uh yeah, I was like I, I the, I'm just clearly the weakest human being that's ever lived. Handstand push ups? Why do you ever need to be able to do that? Uh because somebody might throw a VW <laughs> bug at me someday and I wanna huh. just <laughs> push press it and throw it in the air like Thor. God, Mike, get on board with my fitness, man. What is your problem? You're such an unsupportive friend. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Quit sending me apple fritters. Well, that's awesome, man. Congratulations. Do you know the dates on PASIC? You know, I should be better prepared. It's mid-November. You can just go to PASIC.com or PASIC.org and you get the dates. They they haven't announced it yet. They're kind of dripping the the main stage artists out slowly. But, you know, I'll Man. be there, and even if it ends up not happening, which I, I'm pretty sure it is, I'll be there regardless. Um, I saw yeah, a few man. people there this past year. It was great to hang and get to know some people and listen to the show and Facebook friends right. and all all that. But, yeah, that's, so awesome. that's super well, exciting. the U.K. drum show in late November, like the 29th, but I'm not going early. So depending on the basic dates, maybe I could come out there and be oh, front row supporting cool. you. If you can yeah, do man. that, we should do a podcast there. That'd be fun. Do you know that I've never seen you play drums in person ever? Yeah, that's and you've probably only seen me play once, which would be basic. No, I went to that Sam Ash Clinic in like Springfield, Virginia. Oh yeah. I oh, mean, and uh, then drum days. No, uh, not Springfield, Virginia. Springfield, New Jersey. Yeah, and then drum days. Yeah. So okay. three times. Okay. I've seen you three. You see me play three. <laughs> that's kind of funny though. Like <laughs> we um. We'll announce it in a second, but we're coming up on a lot of downloads. Meaning that you and I have spent a lot of time together on this podcast. We've spent hundreds of hours on the phone together and i've seen you play zero times and you've seen me play three oh wait times. a minute i did come to your facility oh six years ago that's right <laughs> when you that's, were oh playing God. different drums and your walls were a different yeah. color and you were playing different <laughs> symbols too i think it's i was 
I was DW Peisty. I hadn't had any online educators rip off my room yet, so I didn't have to change the paint color. It was all golden. Uh, Anyways, moving forward, let's talk about what's coming up and (laughs) pull it together. We got this. All right. This is rad to announce this. Yes. So we are about to over, you know, what is that hurdle? What would you call that? The landmark episode yeah benchmark landmark so we're about to hit a million downloads which may not sound like a lot if you listen to npr or other huge shows but for us where we were just thinking if we can get 10 downloads per week we'll be super stoked yeah i mean so yeah knowing that five of them would be my mom and uh the other five must be real drummers this is great but a million downloads i just can't i can't quite comprehend that yeah, that's so, amazing. So here's the contest. Everyone listening, you got to send us one dollar. No, <laughs> <laughs> for every episode you've listened to, for every we'll episode split that you've evenly. listened to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it looks like in a couple of weeks we're going to go over the one million mark. So our really generous friends at Ultimate Ears wanted to help celebrate by doing a special giveaway for our two lucky listeners. So we've got. Um, you know, the top prize will be a set of the UE6 Pro custom mold in-ears and their SoundTap personal mixer, which was my pick of the week a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, custom mold. That's the ones they designed, especially for drummers. They're uh, you, in you, my ears right now. Yeah, right. You're digging them. I use them in my I'm, studio. I am obsessed with them. I, I actually just yeah i can't live without them so nice yeah so that i mean that will require you to visit your audiologist or something to get some molds made but that's a heck of a deal and then the second winner will get a set of their uh, ue 900s which are non-custom molds they were also my pick of the week a couple months ago i think they're if not the best they're one of the best versions of the non-custom mold super clean they sound like custom mold in-ears but they're they're not so you get that plus the sound tap super cool We've got a camper here using those right now, and he's oh, yeah. just in love with them. So, yeah, I mean, they sound um, great. But, I mean, so, that's amazing. So, huge thanks to Ultimate Ears. Um, that's just really cool. And I'm an Ultimate Ears artist, and I don't, I haven't asked for that sound tap thing yet. I think I should. That thing sounds pretty Yeah, rad. I mean, do you find that your um, output is too low sometimes? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, uh, especially, that, this will do it. You'll be able to get that cool. extra boost. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think we're probably only in all honesty, only a couple weeks away from starting to gig uh, with the band, with Man on the Moon. So I just know that I want to have a good setup because so much of our music, especially when I'm soloing, I'm soloing to vamps in five or in Mm. nine, and I really do need to hear those vamps to be able to stay on top. So I'm going to, I'm not going to just go there and be like, I'm sure it'll be fine. Just turn your amp towards me. (laughs) It's like, no, no, no. No. Even if they don't mic us, I'm putting a 57 on your cab and it's going straight into my ears. So awesome. Well, thank you guys so much. Uh, so, thanks, Ultimate Ears. Thank you to all the f- listeners. I'm not sure how we're going to figure it out. I mean, next week will be – so we're announcing the contest this week. I guess next week, since that will be the one millionth, we will give you the the rules of how to enter. Yes. And then yeah. the following week, we will draw two lucky winners. Yeah, and not to spoil it, but I'd work on your double strokes. <laughs> Just – just know that entry point is 240 BPM, 16th. Here we go. I'm All still right. I'm still kind of thinking $2 bills would be nice. <laughs> oh, golly. I'd love to take a stack of those to River City Bank. Um, but, yeah, I think we. Uh, if you've listened to our podcast long enough or if you know Mike or myself, whatever our contest will be, it will not be based on skill or talent. It will be based on effort or luck. Those are the only two things yeah. that we deal with. Or Effort and attention luck. to the goofy word that we decide to pick again. Oh, we might go yeah. that way. <laughs> yeah. That's guaranteed to happen, especially on the last day of camp. I'm There's no way I'm making it through the rest of this podcast without making a complete arse out of myself. <laughs> All right. So let's talk some education. I was yes. really stoked on this. You actually sent this PDF to me as yep. I was teaching this exact thing no in way. camp. No way. But as 16th. And what we were doing with it was we were just cycling it through the grid because of where that second accent is um, on the pair a diddle, right? And then you sent it to me as triplets. Okay, cool. So So let's break it down. Yeah, let's go back to step one. So what are we talking about here? So your your sticking pattern is the same as mine. Sticking pattern and and where you move it to the ride. Yeah, everything is the same. Don't you have a symbol in there? 
on. Okay, so uh, we're talking about a paradiddle, two mm-hmm. measures, you know, whatever, a measure, two measures of paradiddles, accent on the first right of the right-hand paradiddle, and then an accent on the right of the left-hand paradiddle, which will be on the E of two and four. Right, right? so paradiddle, 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 right. And then, so, and I think that... If you start with paradiddles, paradiddle, 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 there's, I'd say, a decent amount of drummers that make that leap from intermediate to advanced level by thinking, I bet I could play that as triplets. And feeling mm-hmm. it is one, or I'll separate my hands, but one and a two and a three and a four and a one and a two and a three and a four and a... Right. I don't think anyone that's done that would be ready to recognize how much more difficult that is with your accent pattern. Yeah, exactly. So I think because now your polyrhythms are out the window because you don't get that even pulse yep. of a four over three. You're not playing that obvious half note triplet, which that mm-hmm. can be cool. But the more I hear that, I'm like, okay, you went into triplets. It's so it's right. like so. We obvious. know what that is, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We're so snobby, so obvious. Well, it, is, it just becomes, you know, because I think that was. That's something that was in um, Master Study, Joe Merlo's book, and it's a way that I know a lot of people teach stick control is to play those stickings as triplets. Mm-hmm. But there's very rarely do people say, okay, now add accents that aren't on the downbeats and see what happens. Right. So well, this- and the thing with this, I didn't mean to cut you off, but the thing with this is as 16th notes, this is such a singable thing. Dang, 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 dang. And then when, as soon as it was triplets, it's so funny because I was like, oh, man, I was teaching this all day. Let me try this. And I I was down at like 11 BPM. <laughs> I know. Left, so foot playing, uh, left foot playing quarter notes against the triplets just to keep a pulse. And I was like, man, that's throwing me off. And every time at the end of those two measures, I was like, well, I'm done, but I should have two more lefts. What? <laughs> <laughs> Clearly my timing wasn't on. Uh, so you want to explain it more? All right, so the the accent pattern I first heard, this version was on like old jazz records. Philly Joe Jones does it all the time. Max Roach does it all the time. It's kind of like As a, triplets or as sixteenths? No, as sixteenths. Like that's okay, kind of yeah. the cliche. So what happened was I was, you know, again, powerless and had a flashlight. I was like, let me just play some up-tempo jazz. I haven't done that in forever. And can I trade fours? And quickly realized, no, I can't. And like, all right, let me go back to some basic patterns that I remember. Here's a Philly Joe pattern. 16th notes, accent on the first, 16th accent on the E of B2, get it flowing, sounding cool, but also sounding kind of old and dated. I'm like, all right, so okay. what do I do to make this not sound like I'm doing Philly Joe Jones licks? Now, as a non-jazzer, I'm assuming, so are you saying it's ding, 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 No, no, it'll be like snare drum, rudimental. But it is that feel, straight 16ths against a swing ride. Yeah, exactly. So interpreting it as straight 16ths, like a medium swing. Not swinging at all. Okay, okay. Yeah, I think if you listen to pretty much any Philly Joe drum solo, you'll hear this kind of interpretation. Right. Um, so yeah I was like alright well let me get out of the 1950s and see if I can do anything that's not quite so predictable it's like oh of course let me it's paradiddles let me play them as triplets with that same accent pattern and immediately my hands were like uh uh-uh, uh there's something right. seriously yeah. wrong here I had, to, I had to write it out I mean I, I couldn't that's just figure it out <laughs> When it's so bad, you're like, if I don't see this, I'll never know where these things line up. I don't yeah. know where they are in time in reference to the pulse. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's super weird because the, the accent moves from the third triplet to the middle triplet. That's the ones that I think yeah. I couldn't just hear. I always wanted to keep doing like a an extra right, right, left to kind of make it more you know easy to hear. It's the middle triplet. Yeah. The overlooked yeah, totally. middle triplet. I mean, even just, okay, so... Sixteenths, we have one e and a two e and a three e and a four e and a, no problem, and it right. just loops. Now we've got, and I'm going to sight read this, so give me a hall pass here. But one and a two and a three and a four and a one and a two and a three and a four and a whole. Oh my yep. God, I hate Mike Dawson. Oh but it fits, my God, but it fits perfectly. Oh, That's it does. Of- <laughs> <laughs> it just, it, like I said, the sixteenth note one, we can sing it right away. Ding, 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 ding. And this one, you have to, it takes a while until you go, ah, I can hear it now. You yeah. Know? I mean, isn't that what we wait for when we're learning a new pattern is you keep doing it where you know, like, this is factually correct, but I don't hear it. 
Yeah. As soon as I hear it, then I can give it feel. I can stop reading the damn thing. Yeah, I think the minority of us actually hear middle triplets because it's just not something that we're taught to the phrase with. Right. It's usually like a, right. a filler to get to the third or the first. Right, note. right, yeah. So to have Agreed. accents on two middle triplets and have that be within a paradiddle sticking. Yeah. I mean, I was going to do a video of this, but I'm like, nope, I ain't ready for that. I mean, any kind I mean, of I would, context. I but like our power's out, so I can't right now. I need my adapter. As soon as I put in any kind of context that wasn't like 60 BPM, my ears were like, nope, you're not You're not going to play that middle triplet. It's going to land It's good to hear third. this, though, because when you sent this to me, I thought this was like, oh, this is one of my exercises I've been doing since I was 12, and I was kind of depressed. I'm glad to know that you struggled on it a little bit. This is more of a new idea. And you're like, man, I can't wait to really dial this in. Yeah. So once you get it on the snare drum by itself, I, you know, I was like, all right. Well, obviously, the first thing to do would be play the accents on the toms, and then play the accents as a ride cymbal and bass drum unison, and then mix, start mixing and matching. And I think that's that's the goal for me. I'm not anywhere near that. I can still barely play it on a practice pad with a metronome. But <laughs> nice. So I love it, man. I guess did we explain the pattern well enough? Yeah, I mean, I think if you start with home base of just straight standard paradiddles, I think the first step to cracking this code would be, can you play paradiddles and still and count eighth note triplets? So can you feel one and a two and a three and a four and a one and a two and a three and a four and a, and can you understand like, okay, it's going to go from the downbeat to the and to the uh of the triplet. One and a two and a three. And then I would definitely then split your hands so you're used to two sound sources. One and a two and a three and a four and a one and a two and a three and a four and a. And that, what's funny is that's left over from me in junior high, high school. Then you change one freaking accent. (laughs) And as a 41-year-old man, I'm like, oh, my God. I'm I'm back in like eighth grade playing the glockenspiel and sucking. Uh, so yeah, so I was really stoked on this, uh, cause I thought, ah, oh, this is, this is the rabbit hole. This is what I'm teaching these campers. Nice. Don't take a line of notes for granted. You can go further with them. You can push yeah. harder and find new things that you've never done before. You don't always have to search out brand new material. Sometimes you just need to learn new things to do with the material you already have. Yeah, for real. And, and I'm actually, I mean, I printed this, I wrote this out in notation. I printed it out, but when I practice it, I don't want to look at it cause I think, the fear is I'll just memorize the pattern and not actually hear what I'm doing. Yeah, you won't. Own, you don't own the concept until. And the other thing that I always tell my students, and it's definitely <coughs> my own rule for myself. All right, buddy, <laughs> you haven't coughed in a podcast in a while. That was yeah, epic. That was weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, <laughs> I got. I'm, I'm back on track. The one thing that I think is really important is: can you leave a concept? improvise jump right back into it without really preparing yourself you don't want to be improvising and then say okay in two more beats i'm going to do that thing it's like now yeah yeah. and are you able to leave this before it resolves itself that's important too do you always have to get all the way to the one or do you just kind of little flash in the pan of this concept and you're out and nobody knows what it was um yeah and And, then yeah i mean that's that's what i would want i'd want to hear something you're playing i go oh that was really cool and you go oh here's a whole page on how i got there yeah, I just to did get like those one two thing note. of it. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, that, so. yeah, so that's that's my goal with this is to get it to a point where I mean I don't want to I don't want to learn the triplet pattern as its own thing. I want to hear it and conceptualize right. it as paradiddles with the accent on the second note, but be able to play it in triplets and still hear it that way, not as a whole new thing. Which is, right. I think it's a whole different thing. Like when I learned um, clapping music by Steve Reich, there's there's really two ways to learn the permutations. You can learn each permutation has a new rhythm, a new pattern, or you can learn to shift your perception and still hear the original pattern, even though it's an eighth note off and then another eighth note off. Right. And I think that's more valuable for me to be able to hear the original integrity of the original pattern and how does that permutate and get displaced and still right. maintain the original pulse. That's rather than just hear yeah. 12 new rhythms and I just memorize all 12 new rhythms and not know how they're related or even see the correlation. Right. Well, that's what yesterday's lesson was with the camp was we took your initial one with the 16th notes, one E and a two E and a three E and a four E and a, and it's like, well, let's start that. Let's start that on the E one, two, I'm going to butcher this three, four, one E and a two E and a three E and a four E and a one, oh, nice. two. 
And then we did it on the and, then we did it on the uh, one e and a two e and a three e and a four e and a one, two. Nice. So that's so crazy. Yeah, it was really we fun. were literally teaching the same thing the with same no thing. communication. <laughs> I, I opened this email last night when I was done with camp, and I'm like, "You got to be kidding me!" <laughs> and then, uh, and then I played it with my hands and knees. I was like, "You got to be kidding! Why is this so hard?" <laughs> I put out like all the covers of magazines that I'd been on. I put my Modern Drummer Award in front of me, and I'm like, I'm extremely accomplished. Why can I not play this line of notes? That's what I do, by the way, when things go bad. Oh, I just yeah. I just break out all the all uh, things that make me yeah yeah my bling yeah. <laughs> just so you know, in case you haven't listened to a lot of episodes, I don't do that. That's a lie. Uh, I'm just all right. Wouldn't that be a great just candid shot? The campers walk in. I've got all the covers around me. The modern little tear, awards. little tear dripping yeah. down your face. <laughs> like, I was so good in 2016. What happened? Oh, that <laughs> reminds me that I had a uh, college professor. I might have told you this story, but at the end of my graduate school, you know, he, you know, I got the job at Modern Drummer, and he said, mm. um, you know, because I play a lot of gigs with him, and he kind of was like a mentor to me. He was a vibraphonist, okay. and he. He said, you know, if I see you play in five years and you sound sad, I'm going to punch you in the face. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. That's awesome. Because he was like, you got this nice job. You don't actually have to practice anymore. You can just write about drumming. And I have not forgotten it. And I I will not get punched in the face by that dude. It is not happening. That's awesome. (laughs) That's awesome, man. I love it. I love it. That's beautiful. No punches needed. You're now playing basic, man. I think you're going to be doing just fine. All right. Let's talk about our featured artists. Uh, Speaking I don't of know. punches in the face, this guy is yeah. intense. <laughs> well, and it's it's so cool just in the days of Instagram and Facebook and everything to have like a new drummer show up on the scene and really uh, start to break some ground. I'm really happy for this guy. I'm glad he's <laughs> chipping away, and and the fact that you guys featured him, giving him some love. We wow. took a we took a big chance on this guy. <laughs> he took a risk on old Stuart <laughs> Copeland. That's who we're speaking of, and obviously. Uh, I'm being an idiot because he's a legend, an absolute legend. And I can't really think of any of my favorite drummers that don't have massive influences in their playing from Stuart. Uh, yeah. I mean, most yeah. of what I love from my favorite drummers is their Stuart influence. I can hear it immediately. Uh, and it's, it's, it's awesome yeah. how much effect he had on all of us. So we decided to put him on the cover as part of this 40 year look back at, at 1978, which ends up being like a pretty important pretty significant not like culture like no no magazines or books have been written about 1978 but you look at what happened with punk rock and new wave and all these things kind of shifting there was a lot of great music being made in 1978 and that was the year that the police put out their debut record uh wow. so he's had 40 years as as <clears throat> you know on the cutting edge and and what i find impressive about stewart is he's almost hard to keep up with you know, like I think, oh, absolutely. For me, I can study the police records for the rest of my life, and that's enough. But then there's this whole other career that he's had since 1988, 89, or whatever. Actually, I guess it started before that, where he's you know been been other collaborative projects, um, and his composition work has been insane. I mean, right. He's done TV and movie soundtrack. He did Rumble Fish, Wall Street, Talk Radio, The Equalizer, Out of Bounds. I mean, it's crazy the stuff he's done. And then wasn't he doing uh, Ben Hur or something like live performances along with the playing of the movie? That's true. Yeah, he was doing. Now he's on a lot of symphonic performances. He's composing right. for symphonies. One of the the pieces we talk about um, in the story is is a recent one that he did for orchestra. So yeah, it's kind of insane. And if it's funny if you go to iTunes or Apple Music and search Stuart Copeland, nothing comes up but soundtracks. It's all like movie soundtracks. Wow, that's so <laughs> I mean, crazy. What a like, shift. Uh, yeah, totally. Uh, quick question before we dig into his playing more, but has he been a Tama artist this whole time? Yeah, I think so. I'm trying to think of a time that I've not seen him on. I mean, even like the Synchronicity Tour videos I have, he's on a Tama kit. Yeah, I can't think of... Um, let me take a look. There's, yeah, we Talk don't have about any... some freaking loyalty and Tama, probably Peisty too, Peisty. right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I mean, I could be wrong, but I think he's been with them the whole time, and I can't think of a longer Tama artist. Maybe there is one, but who, who wow. would have been before him? Simon Phillips, maybe? Uh, yeah, maybe. Uh, what was Billy Cobham playing? He's been all over the place. Has he? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it, but it's it's 
it's funny. Just when I was looking at this article, I'm like, man, I always associate him with Tama and Octobons. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, he's, he's, he's always been on the cutting edge. And one thing that I love about Stuart is he's still, he's one of us. He's still in our drum scene. You, every once in a while, you'll see a video of some drummer that is young and hip and he's over at, at Stuart's house and they're jamming. You yeah, know, and yeah, he's, right. he's not closed off to the drum community where, I mean, he's done, he's accomplished so much. He could live in that superstar world that where he just happens to also play drums, but he's still a drummer. He's one of us. And it's, it's a really amazing thing to watch his career over the years. And yeah. for those of you that maybe see him now and, and think like, Oh, that's cool, man. That, that cat can play. It's like, you don't understand what was happening in the eighties and how this actually wasn't happening. This aggressive yeah. style I'd never seen anybody play traditional grip and hit harder than all the heavy rock drummers that yeah. were out at the time. Duct tape all over his hands. <laughs> yeah. A towel taped to the side of his snare because in his short shorts, he's going to rub his knee raw on that damn thing. I mean, there were so many things. You can easily find the Synchronicity concert DVD. And he, he'll he be up there playing bells, xylophone, whatever. Yeah. And you think, like, I'm pretty sure the song starts in about two seconds, but he's 80 yards away from the drum. And he just sprints, jumps through the air, lands on the throne, Eric and Proto style, and goes, glutton, 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 dun, 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 dun. And it's like, oh, my God, he's the best ever. Yeah, so, and he I was mean, one of the first guys to be messing around with electronics in a live setting. I mean, mm-hmm. there, there's a good documentary on YouTube of him showing his, his delay rig with his rack of effects and stuff. So he's been always kind of thinking, like, what can I do that hasn't been done? Uh, and he did play the Montgomery Festival several years ago with his own band. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he's still got the same scary intensity. I mean, he was intimi- oh, he, he was an sure. intimidating person to be in, in a room with. Really? I mean, he was he was nice and friendly, but there was that that twinkle in his eye, like I could punch you in the throat right now. It's <laughs> just super intense. That's where I'm going to punch. You. If things go south between you and me, I'm hitting you right in the Adam's apple. Uh, yeah, I mean the intensity though is one thing that I felt like made a shift in the music that I've been obsessed with for years from Sting with Omar and Vinny and Manu. And then the police, and they are very different to me. And I don't want anyone else to play in the police. I want it to be Stuart because that's what it's part of the magic. You oh, know, it couldn't and, be anyone else. I literally can't think no. of anyone else that could do that. I've I mean, seen, really, you any know, of them. Those three guys, it's like they're indispensable. No. You couldn't have another exactly. guitarist. You obviously couldn't have another singer. And the right. drummer, I think, yeah, I mean, who would it be? I can't even think of anyone. It, you know, and the thing is, it's it's almost back to the Ringo thing. It's like, it's not about being better on the instrument. It's about being best for the situation. Yeah. And I honestly, I don't want to hear songs that Ringo played on. I don't want him to be replaced by somebody else. And I don't want to hear Stuart be replaced by somebody else. It's, it's what it is. But the other thing that gets overshadowed because his playing is so fantastic is how much he changed the entire drum industry when it comes to tuning. Yeah. this is in like the late seventies and eighties. Everyone's snare sounded deeper than their kick. Right. You know, yeah. listen to pour some sugar on me by Def Leppard and tell me which one yeah. is the kick and which one's the snare. <laughs> I can't tell. I'm pretty sure snares on one and three kicks on two and four. So when all of a sudden, when you've got this guy way before Adrian Young with no doubt, way before uh, John Otto with Limp Biscuit and mm-hmm. Chad Sexton with three eleven, you got this guy cranking, uh, probably a 14 or a, excuse me, a five by 14, yeah. maybe five and a half, but cranking the snare and just, and some gaff tape on it. And it's going like Kah! where everyone else is going. Doosh. Yeah. I, I mean, that was a huge, to me, it was almost like letting me, um, it was giving me freedom. Cause I was like, Oh, well he's cool. Maybe I don't have to have all, you know, my drums sound exactly the same. Yeah. When he would do a fill, I knew which tom he was on because his tom sounded different. Yeah, and they had a lot of bite to them. And I think yeah. I think a really telling sign is how well those records hold up 40 years later. I That's think. a good point. Yeah, How many records came out in 1978 or 1984 and you don't hear them and think, okay, that's from 1978 or 1984. I hear police records and I'm like, that's the police. Just like I hear Led Zeppelin, I think that's Led Zeppelin, that's Jimi Hendrix. I think he's, they're on the exact same level as me like it's forever it's timeless 
Yeah, and uh, I was fun, side note. I was in my workout this morning. They were just blazing some seventies, eighties rock, and Zeppelin was one of the tunes that came on. And it was the it made the song before it and the song after it sound so dated because really? I was like that just sounded like a song, man. But then you go to the next track of you know Credence. And it's so muted and just like, oh, yeah. yeah, I know when that was recorded. Yeah, but I mean, Zeppelin it's a cool sound, the, but it's not timeless. Totally. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's time-stamped. Yeah. It's, a, it's a cool sound and it's time-stamped. And the police have that same thing. When the police come on on the radio, you don't think, oh, we're listening to the classics. Yeah. It's just wave. like, oh, I love this yeah. song. Yeah. <laughs> new, oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. What's the uh, first, what's that animated video? Aha. Uh-huh. Oh, take mo- take, uh, take on, on me, yeah, yeah, yeah. Take on me, like you know, if you put like walking on the moon and take on me back to back, one sounds a little more timeless, you know. Uh, one is like, oh man, I need some Aquanet for my bangs. All right, so all right, so uh, I, I downloaded a, a just a sampling of stuff. I figured we should just take a listen because I think, yeah, like even myself, Stewart is just so ubiquitous. I'm like, yes, he's great, he's awesome, but I'm really kind of tired of his whatever. Like, okay, I've had enough. But every time I go back to a, a police record, I'm like, there's something I miss there every single yeah. time. Um, so the first one I grabbed is the song Peanuts off of their debut album, which is Outlandos de Amor. So I just want to check out the intro and just see what he's doing. Right into, like, think about where we are in music, especially now. Okay, my singer's going to start singing the verse. I'm going to the ride and the bell. Like, (laughs) no, you're not. That's illegal. You can't do that. And he's like, "Uh, this is punk rock. I'll do whatever the hell I want. And I I love that. Yeah, I love that the the very first thing he plays is like, I'm just going to throw my sticks on the kid. All right, let's go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Exactly. It's, uh, it, but I mean, the, the aggression is there. And the one thing that I really dig about that right away is this is the first record, but instantly, you know, it's Stuart. It's not a junior version of Stuart and he's going to grow into himself as a player someday. It's Stuart. Yeah. I mean, he's That's ripping. just who he is. He's ripping. Yeah, absolutely. So the next one is the title track off of Regatta de Blanc. tell them about the face i just made they're talking about me being this tongue-in-cheek electronics guy well there it is stewart was doing that in 19 i don't know 79 1980 playing with a delay machine live to get this crazy cycle of rim clicks awesome i mean that's pretty badass i can listen to just that intro over and over again damn what's next to it again <laughs> <laughs> i know you are i was like dude what are you doing over there bro <laughs> you know who could possibly fill in would be ash Sohn. yeah but he's he, a little he's too polite so, though a little bit yeah he he's could he nice. could fake the aggression but in the end he'd be like was that okay <laughs> uh he's he's but he he has this stuff down and you hear it in his playing, and you hear it in, in in how tight he plays his hi hats, and how he plays with the tip of his sticks on his hi hats. Yeah, and he gets such a clean sound. So yeah, this I'm. I mean, if any of you are a little younger and and you're thinking like, man, they seem to be going off about this guy, you, you really need to understand the influence he's had on the whoever you look up to. He had an influence on him. Yeah, for sure. You know? All right. So the next one I think is the fully realized Stewart sound with the really okay. crack and snare, but also I kind of overlooked the the, the two-handed hi-hat stuff that he's doing so this is uh, bombs away so check it out i mean that beat is what people yeah. are doing now in indie rock yeah i, I mean, mean it's kind of like 
you know, and you and I have mentioned this, uh, talked about this a few times with a few times with Danny Carey and Carter Beaufort, uh, but it's it's always rare when we get great drumming on the radio and it becomes a hit and the the world is accepting. And this is the police gave us that for this huge chunk of time where all of our friends were singing to do, do, da, to do, 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 whatever. And, and it was like, yeah, but I get to listen to the drums. This is actually really good. Yeah. I mean, such a great sound. And the next one is from ghost of machine. This is the intro that I've listened to it. I've written it out. I've played the song. I still can't hear it right. I still hear the downbeat in the wrong spot. So it's spirits in the material world. Just the very beginning. He is so damn deceptive. So check it out. Yeah, that vocals came in, in the wrong spot. <laughs> Sting's, Sting's fault. Stuart killed it. Oh my god! Oh man! All right. Unreal. So the last one from the police would be T in the Sahara off of uh, Synchronicity. So I picked this one because he's playing a reggae beat, but he broke the rules and put the bass drum on an off beat rather than the down beat, which is simple little tweaks that kind of made it his own. So to let you know that, yeah, I can play reggae, but we're doing something different here. could be a sting album that comes out this week yeah you know i mean i could just listen to that first minute for like an hour like i don't need anything else it's incredible all right so let's get into some of his later stuff that i think i definitely haven't listened to enough um animal logic which was a project with who did i say stanley clark the great bass of stanley clark and deborah holland so i grabbed one this is called in the garden let's just take a quick listen to some of that you might want to check out this band Whatever that, whatever health symbol he just hit, it's still going. <laughs> <laughs> that thing was awesome. Um, you know, I mean, you have to wonder too how much having an artist like Stewart has e- even influenced his symbol company because he must hear these sounds before they're created. That's true. And I say, think, I, I mean, wish we had this. Wasn't he cutting broken symbols down and just using the bells? I think he was like the first splash symbol guy. Wow. And he was literally like cutting them out of broken symbols. That's that's awesome. But yeah, I mean, that's, if I was if I was Eric Peisty, I'd be going to him every day. Like, you hear anything in your head? It could become a bestseller for us. Uh, amazing. Uh, All right. So that that band's called Animal Logic. Yeah, and that was. Cool. I think that was also a, maybe a late '80s project. I, I should have done better research, but. It's with female vocal. It's still kind of police sounding, but having Stanley Clark, it's it, you know, it's leaning more towards like fusion type of vibe. Um, the next one is the Oyster Head, which was with Les Claypool and Trey Anastasio from the '90s, and that's when they kind of all of a sudden now Stewart is a hero on the jam band circuit. So let's right. check out a little bit of the song "Little Faces." What's he doing there? Is that a paradiddle? What the hell is he doing? Uh, what he's doing is telling me that I am taking all of next week off and researching Stuart Copeland. <laughs> that's what he's doing. I mean, that's that's just awesome. And it's he's got such a great balance of restraint. You know he can throw down whenever he wants, but he'll sit on that groove and stay there. Um, yep. But it's an interesting enough groove that you kind of think, you don't really need to do much else, you know? Um, yep. 
but I've always felt that Stewart just had the best embellishments in the pop rock world mm-hmm. ever. Yeah, he's They're very un- unpredictable. They're just embellishments. Yeah. yeah, I can see where he's drawing a lot of that from Carly Barrett with Bob Marley, where it's this mm-hmm. always evolving, you know, kind of like bubbling style where I'm not going to play patterns. I'm going to just kind of interact and you right. know, jump but it's out anchored. here and there. It's not just, you know, it's not free jazz. I mean, it is anchored in yeah. something. Um, yeah, awesome. So All right, so that's Oysterhead. And the last one we have? So the last one is one of his more recent projects. This is Orchestrali. So this is him playing with an orchestra. up drum kit though yeah and still i think it i think his orchestral work showcases his sense of humor like really like that sounds yeah. like cartoon music to me yeah like no Pink it's panther it's or something very cheeky yeah, yeah yeah for sure well i think we've at least given you enough to go on to understand why this man has been so influential to our entire scene so please check out some old police records and uh, and you don't have to worry about which one to get there. They all have Stewart on them. So yeah, uh, right. with Sting, you're getting a mixed bag of the greatest, the other greatest drummers in the world. But with the Police, it's always Stewart. So um, it's amazing. And please, if you can track down, like just go to YouTube and watch, you know, old Police videos of them playing live. Because I, I mean, I'm telling you, this is like the Abe Cunningham of the eighties. This guy was a beast on the drums, you know? Yeah. Um, I actually see style. Uh, I'm trying to think mannerism wise and maybe, a, a intensity. I see actually a lot of Stuart in, um, Todd Zuckerman, maybe not his actual playing with like sticks, but just the way he's, it, I mean, he's so forceful on the drums, yeah. with traditional grip, way back on the stick, um, clean hi-hats. You know, I mean, Todd's one of the cleanest drummers on the planet. And so, yeah. um, I, and I've never asked Todd, you know, are you influenced by Stuart Copeland? But I, I think we all have our chapter in our life where Stuart was our guy. Yeah. And some people, that chapter lasted longer than others. Um, I bet I mean, Abe Cunningham was influenced by Stuart Yeah, I think, I think anyone that does diddles on the hi-hat, they've, <laughs> they've listened yeah. to the police. And I would bet your drum key that Todd Zuckerman calls Stuart one of his primary influences. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Uh, I'm not going to take that bet because I'm not losing the key, but I, I, and I agree with you. I think, um, I hear tons of Stuart and Benny Greb all the time yeah. in, in really I positive ways. Vinny and Calyuta. I think there's, there's, yeah. I don't think there's anyone who's listened to the police that hasn't been like, Oh, let me try that thing. You know what I have to say though? I think one of the reasons why so many people are influenced by it, it's not just cause he's good. There's plenty of good drummers out there. It's cause it's cool. It's yeah. just, it's fun to listen to. It's like, ah, and it's it's not that out of reach. It's like maybe you couldn't do it the way he did it, but it makes you want to get on the kit instead of making you want to quit. You go, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go do that thing, you know. <laughs> and especially when we had the albums and we weren't smart enough, we didn't know what was being delayed, what wasn't. So we're yeah, doing walking right. on the moon, going run 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 run. run. It's like, <laughs> do I have to play that? I don't know how to play that. Um, because then he would do little diddles and cross stick things where he actually physically did it. So I'm like, I don't know yeah. which one's delayed, which one's not. Uh, so really cool stuff. So everyone check out Stuart Copeland. All right, buddy, it is time to get into some listener questions. Indeed. Our first one is from Casey. Says, I have a question about snare shelves and how each of you store your collections. Um, is it important to store them flat or on their sides? Ooh. Mine are on their sides and yours are all flat. Right. Well, just on the snare wall and then on my shelves, they're, they're on their sides. Um, I don't think I, it's uh, ever occurred to me. Well, I guess in my mind, the reason why I never really worried, because I never thought any of them would be there long enough for it to damage them either way. I want yeah, to always be right. grabbing my snares and playing them. Um, the only thing I would assume could be a problem would be the same with all of your drums, which would be moisture. Not really the angle of which you store them, but yeah, I can't think of any drum that being on its side over time would be a problem. That had to be a really, really crappy drum. Uh, right. I mean, the biggest problem when you put them on their side is now you got the snare wires. So you could just what I do is I just put like a cardboard drink coaster that I just 
you know, I've just been gathering them. The yeah, just slip it under the wires. You could put a paper towel. Anything will do that. Yeah. And you get more yeah. space when you do it on the side too. Like if you go flat, you're you're taking up more right. room per Absolutely. drum. Absolutely. Yeah, I think when I get my next thirty snare drums, I will go flat. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you at with that? <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Next. All right. Next one's from Peter. Uh, he says, episode 135 was really interesting about approaches to composing solos, but how can you prepare for the unexpected solo? So he says, I do mostly sight reading with a big band, um, but then all of a sudden there might be an 8 or 16 bar drum solo that he wasn't prepared to play. How do you handle sure. that? I think one thing we all have to do is really change the meaning of the word solo in our minds because somehow it got turned into throw down. Yeah, like feature and that's, performance moment. Yeah, yeah, that's where everything goes bad for you. Um, do your best to remember what James Brown and Clyde taught us, which is the drum solo can sometimes be the band stops and you keep doing what you've been doing the whole time, but now the rest of the audience finally gets to hear you. Right, um, yeah. So, so I try to think about what was happening before the solo. If there was good time happening, I'm not going to all of a sudden, now it's my turn, and I just stop playing my left foot, and I'm just ripping drums. Um, if I'm on, let's say it's a pop gig and not a jazz band gig. We actually went through this in camp yesterday. You have eight bars to solo, and I you can never not have the snare on two and four. Mm-hmm. Because that thing was going the whole time, and I need everybody to still feel like there's a pulse and there's a groove happening even when you're soloing. So, But I, I just would say don't put so much pressure on yourself to make it something amazing for the drumming community. Um uh, people yeah. don't understand how cool drum beats are. I mean, yeah, drummers, exactly. we, we take it for granted. Yeah. And it's like, man, I, I, if I was in a big band and somebody said solo, I'd play a Charleston on the floor tom for eight bars and people would lose their mind. I mean, sing, sing, sing. That That's like right. one of the most classic drum solos, quote unquote, of all time. <clears throat> yeah. Just playing a tom beat. Yeah, Ever I think, seen 90,000 people go bananas over Wipeout in the 60s? I mean, right. they, they don't have to, like, <laughs> drop heat. <laughs> <laughs> Although wipeout is hard, I've actually done a, a yeah, I know, I've done a, that a few times. Video of that one, that one's tough. Anyway, yeah, I think for my my thoughts, if you're playing with a big band, I did I play with the big bands a lot, and the last thing you want to do is confuse the band with your with your right. break. So you got to think yes. simple. You got to think how am I going to set the band up after the end of your eight and sixteen bars? Super simple. Yeah. So yeah, like Mike said, just focus on the time. Maybe a couple little fills, but. Um, I wouldn't pre-plan it out, which which is the last part of his question. Um, he's I've been thinking about having several four-bar phrases ready to go. I think for me, I probably have a lot of those subconsciously, and they just kind of happen. But I don't right. think okay in this tune, I've got this four-bar phrase ready to go. It's right. going to sound out of place. Right. But you know, the I think you just thing, practice it, and you'll you'll come up with stuff that becomes your go-to well, things. That's the thing. What you have to do is you have to practice trading eights with yourself, and nobody does. They just think somehow yeah. magically it's going to get better on the gig. Uh, nope. The other never thing, happens. try <laughs> no, try try to make sure too that whether you're taking a four or taking an eight, try not to play four one-bar fills as your four-bar solo. Try not to play eight one-bar fills where you keep stabbing the one. Mm. Tell a story. But like Mike said, when that story's coming to an end, it can't be a surprise ending. It has to be – you have to have almost like a little hook, a little tag that lets the trumpets and the and the trombones and everybody know, I'm done. Yeah. Even if you got lost in my solo, I'm done. It's it's time to come back in now. That's true. Uh, I mean, you yeah, could, if you listen to pretty much any Philly Joe or Tony solo or probably even Jimmy Cobb when they were playing with Miles Davis, they had like – Hey band, get ready! Here's my lick. Da, 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 yeah, da. now we're back in. <laughs> you totally. Know? You you know when it's happening. Absolutely. Yeah. I just uh, was watching there a bunch of videos. Just hit Instagram with Steve Gad uh, playing with Chick Corea. Oh yeah, and nice. yeah, and like he's he's ripping. And then I mean, you just know like this is his last four bars because he starts playing very hooky things, very repetitive things. Yeah. Instead of what we think is go out in a blaze of glory, like no one can hear where the heck you are when you do that. So yeah, true. Um, so yeah. All right, next. All right, last one. This is from Carlin in Ontario, Canada. Um, how does the diameter of the snare drum affect the sound? It could be, if you could talk about the common sizes, 10, 12, 14, and how they differ in sound would be extremely helpful. Ooh, that's funny. We, we focus so much on depth. Yeah, I guess we overlook the obvious <laughs> a little bit. That's because you'll never let me say that number first. 
You don't understand, bro. The campers are calling me out on it. it sucks that like, I say uh, this is twelve by eight, and they all say, "Well, Dawson says it's eight by 12. I'm like, "Stop it! What are you gonna do? Tell on me?" It's not to me. It's Ludwig. It's Gretch. I know. I know. I I got gotcha. you. <laughs> Um, I'm turning into an adult. Thank uh, you for pulling me into adulthood. All right, so let's say let's keep it simple. Um, let's go from a 12 inch snare to a 14. They're both yeah. five inches deep. Yeah. So I think the biggest um, difference is the amount of tension that's on the head versus the pitch that it produces. So mm. if you tune a 14 inch drum really high. It's going to feel, it's going to have more rebound, but it could also feel a little hard. Mm-hmm. It, but you can get the same pitch from a 12 with less tension, and it's going to feel softer, maybe more pleasing to play, and you're going to get the exact same pitch. Um, yeah. You're not going to get the same breadth of sound and fatness, but you'll get the same note. So, yeah. So I think. Obviously, and I do uh, agree that like that. What you just said at the end there—that's the other difference. Is the twelve and the fourteen tune the same? The twelve is just to me visually, it's like a sh- uh, a narrower wave file. Yeah, it's just a, a quick crack where the yeah. fourteen might have the crack and some overtone and some breath to it. Yeah, exactly. So I think the obvious is a, a, a drum with a smaller diameter will have more high tuning potential. That's right. the obvious, but for me, I think it's more about feel and how how wide of a sound do you want. If you want a real tight, punchy sound, but not super cranked, a twelve inch drum in the medium range with some muffling is going to be really cool. Yeah, um, that's why I like fifteens because I can tune them to get a nice rebound, but the pitch is still really low, right where it needs to be for recording. That's. I but I, I will say though, the one thing you're going to lose on a twelve and definitely on a ten is the cross stick possibilities it it's it's not a big enough drum to get with a 16 inch drum stick to get the sweet spot of That's 14 yeah. 13 i mean you already have to back the tip up pretty far towards the rim to get a decent cross stick 14s you have a good you have like two or three inches of play to get a few different cross stick sounds on a 12 it's just not going to happen yeah because i used to play 12s all the time all right so that's it let's go to our pick of the week we are blowing through this episode so if you have any questions you can Ooh. send them to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com we do have a couple audio questions we get a couple more we'll do an audio question feature in the next episode cool. but for now let's end it out with our picks of the week mm-hmm. <laughs> should i go first or you first go ahead buddy because uh, i i love your pick of the week because i have it and i was shocked at how awesome it is yeah so ha- having no power but still wanting to play drums in my basement where it's underground and it's pitch black with no light i was like oh let me check out this flashlight that was sent by um brian who has his company session ace great drummer uh great engineer and a really good dude so he sent you and i both a package of his stuff and yeah. the the flashlight is called what the heck is it called it's called the session ace high beam led flashlight so it's in the show notes if you want to check it out it has a rechargeable battery um super bright and what really blew me away was how con- how tight and controlled the spread of the light was i was able to get a pretty wide spotlight on my kit but then everything outside of it was still pitch black it was really kind of neat right and then you can narrow that beam to like pinpoint focus. Yeah, so if you drop which your is really drum cool. key under the bass drum pedal, you can f- use that. You don't so. have to light up the whole stage for right. floodlight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I'm sure that I don't know a lot about flashlights. Maybe that's a very common thing. But for it to be so bright and so compact and then be able to narrow that beam to a pinpoint focus, I was just blown away. Yeah, it was really nice, and and knowing that he's you know he's a drummer, he's got his own companies, you know, producing products especially for drummers and session musicians. I think it'd be good to go support him. So check out sessionace.com. He's got all kinds of stuff. He's got in ears. Um, he's got like a, a drum wallet that can be a muffle. He's got yeah. you know all kinds of really kind of neat drummer specific stuff. I will say though that his his in ears are fantastic. Um, I've got. His kind of high-end non-custom molds here that I use quite a bit, and then the guy that runs the cameras here when we're doing our live thing, Nate, he's got the other pair. Since the tips are replaceable, I'm like, why don't you try these out on the gig? And he's been gigging around town for the last month with the in ears and loves them. And he had the the decent sure ones before that, and he's really digging on the session ace one. So nice, cool. yeah. So Good there's stuff. a ninety nine dollar model, and then there's a two hundred dollar model for the in ears and the high beam. 
flashlight is $25. I think it's totally okay, worth it. Okay, just get that. Get that. Like, <laughs> yeah. is, I mean, I'm telling you, when you take those 11 p.m. walks with the wife and your dogs and you're trying to find the poo, boom, <laughs> session ace flashlight. Or if you drop the key of destiny, same thing. Very similar. All right. All right. What's your uh, pick? Let's go. Keep it classy, <laughs> Dawson. Uh, my pick is something that we talked about earlier in the show, and that's the fourteen by excuse me five by fourteen A mm. and F raw steel snare drum. Uh, so because of the camp situation, we were just swapping snares out super quick. Let's do this, 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 and then we're grabbing the Black Beauty, then we're grabbing my solid aluminum. And I think actually out of all the snares I have, it's my favorite one. I really love it. Nice. I, it's Steel has a characteristic. Brass has a characteristic of being just awesome. It does its job, gets out of the way. Mm-hmm. Steel has this little hint of character to it that I don't hear in other drums, but because of the brass hardware that's on it, it still has the crack and the warmth of a brass shell. Uh, it has an amazing cross stick. It's the cheapest drum in the 14s that ANF makes, and I think it's definitely worth at least checking out if you can find one at a store or if you can watch some videos online. So that is my pick of the week, indeed. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. Please give us a, a little rating and a review wherever you get these podcasts. That helps us a lot. And thank you guys so much. A million downloads. That's just blowing Mike and I away. Yeah, so tune in next week, and we will give you... Maybe the word of the week. We'll, we'll figure out what the what the actual entry yeah. method is going to be. But next week we will give you the opportunity to enter, and then the following week we will draw two lucky winners from first Boom. custom Kicks mold hair. and non custom mold from Ultimate Ears. Very cool. I love it. All right, have a good week, buddy. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna get into camp. One right. final day. We're going big today. All right, bud. I'll talk to you next week. Yeah.